Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. Matt, how are you doing today? Not too bad. How are you, Justin? I'm doing fine. One of the topics that me personally, uh, I've been avoiding just because it's, it's a bit of a headache and and I think it kind of stems back to uh, um, when I was going to college, I uh, I worked for a company uh, up in Canada, a small little company that did consulting work, and they focused around corrosion mitigation, and they worked for different, you know, various pipeline companies and stuff like that. And it was a lot of data entry, and and just it was just uh, something I could never really wrap my head around. Um, and you know, now in the drilling fluids world, we're obviously exposed to it. We're not corrosion experts, or at least I'm not, but uh, it's, it, it comes up every now and again. And, and it's just one of those where, uh, I, it's always a gray area for me and I wish I knew more about it. So as much as I wasn't looking forward to this, I kind of am. So hopefully I can learn something and hopefully the listeners can too. Uh, and that's corrosion. So, you know, let's go ahead and, and dive into this. Um, I think first and foremost, uh, Help us by defining what corrosion is or what the proper definition of corrosion is. So NACE International, the National Association of Corrosion Engineers. Yes, there is a whole discipline dedicated to this. Ooh, so painful. this is why, you know, we avoid talking about it because we always feel like we're talking out of school relative to all these experts because it is, it, there are all different levels of specialization. But you know, their definition is the deterioration of a, met- a material, usually a metal, that results from a reaction with its environment. Um, and I think the best way to think about it, at least in our realm, you know, when you think of, of just steel corroding, um, is you applied a bunch of energy to iron ore to make that steel, right? You smelted it. You, you know, you've seen those pictures of, you know, glowing, it's how we, they killed that one terminator in the movie you know all that so um took a lot of energy to make all that happen and you know we know naturally everything wants to restore down to its lowest energy state um so what you've done is you put a whole bunch of energy into purifying and isolating that that steel Mm -hmm. and then you let it sit in nature and what does it want to do it wants to go back to whence it came yeah um and so that's iron ore going back to rust for example um, and so to me, that's been like the, the most comforting analogy that it's like, okay, I see what this is trying to do. And it's, it's not that we can actually stop it, but we can slow the rate. Right. Um, so the, the goal is, all right, I know, I know I'm up against something, but how do I ma- mitigate it to a level where it's manageable and acceptable and we don't have huge downtime and failures? Right. Um, so that's that's kind of the the fundamental definition. Um, there's lots of different types and mechanisms, and that's why you get all these different expertise domains. Uh, when I was involved in the completion fluids realm, we just focused on high chrome steel, which was very brittle but corrosion resistant. So it failed fairly spectacularly. Um, you know, drill pipe and that sort of thing. We're using carbon steel, which is generally quite flexible right. and you know, a bit more forgiving in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so even just the nature of what you're working with, it can be quite different what's going on. Of course. And 
corrosion in, in any industry is extremely um, can be extremely harmful and can cause a lot of of challenges, failures, things of that nature. And a lot of times we experience uh, there's a lot of uh, emphasis and um, you know time and money spent on preventing corrosion on the pipeline side of things because that that can obviously cause some serious downtime um, when you're you know you're flowing you know you know fluids through these pipes. Uh, different bends and stuff like that can be susceptible. So there's a lot of emphasis on that. A lot of companies really focus on that. But, you know, on the drilling side of things, uh, it can also be pretty challenging. Um, you know, it's and so I think, Matt, why don't we kind of briefly go over uh, what 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 can corrosion lead to in the drilling world? So, uh, I mean, it can lead to any number of things. I think, you know, they all cost money. Um, probably the worst is let's say we're drilling and we have a pipe failure. So we twist off and leave a, leave a BHA in the hole. Yeah. Um, I mean the amount of time to fish it out, if you can even get it, um, that's obviously a serious expense. It, it could be, um, you know, there are a lot of monitoring programs in place. It could be that, for example, uh, you know, the customer is working with a drilling contractor and they go to lay down the rig and they end up having to replace all their pipe because the metal loss was so high that it failed to meet certain specifications. So we didn't twist off, we didn't lose anything, but you know that could be a million dollars right yep. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, those are common things. Sometimes you know more more nuanced types of, of corrosion. You can have special jewelry downhole, you know, isolation valves. Um, uh, you know the the rotors on a motor or a rotary steerable tool. Some of those, uh, some of those can can corrode a little bit differently. Um, and when they fail, they can, uh, you know, have pretty significant where we have to come out of the hole. You know, change it out. Um, so, um, you know, it's not just drill pipe. Although I think drill pipe is probably what we're, you know, we're most concerned about. Right. Um, and then of course you've got you know the the rig itself and and that sort of thing. Yeah, any surface equipment. And I mean, a, a string of drill pipe, I mean, it ranges, but if you have to replace a string of drill pipe because you weren't adding, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of corrosion inhibitor each well, you're looking at close to a million bucks. Now, of, of course, you know, that ranges, but I've heard that number kind of been thrown around. So it's extremely important to actually prevent corrosion. And, and it's one of those things where you don't, you don't necessarily see it until you're doing, you know, pipe inspection or you know, a lot of times if it's really bad and you tear down, you know, motors and stuff like that, you can see it. But certainly something that can that can cost a lot of money to the to the operator or any, you know, service company dealing with, with you know, metal. Um, so let's dive into the weeds a little bit more to get a better understanding of, of how this, this mechanism actually happens, Matt. So, um, you know, again, there's, I know there's terms out there that, that you've used. So I'll, I'll let you explain this one, you know, like always. But uh, can you kind of explain the mechanism and, and what's going going on from a from a chemistry standpoint so if you think about uh an electrochemical corrosion process now there are others and and we'll kind of outline some of the types once again like this is you could do an episode on every single one of these but on the most fundamental you open up a mud manual you have a look they're probably going to talk about electrochemical corrosion um as it relates to steel so you're going to have uh the the four fundamental things you need are you need an anode a cathode, an electrolyte, and a conductive path. And the idea is if I can disrupt one of those, I kind of break the circuit. So a battery is commonly used as sort of the, the metaphor for this. 
um, you know, positive negative terminal, that that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, an anode and a cathode, that it could be a, it could be two dissimilar metals um, where one's you know has a greater affinity to corrode, or right. it could just be an impurity. So you may think that oh well, drill pipes all the same. Well, the crystalline structure is not perfect. Um, and so there's going to be inconsistencies and that could be where your corrosion initiates. Um, other times it could just be where you've, you know, dinged it up. And similarly, you know, that's, that's where it starts because you've altered it slightly. Right. Um, but what, but basically at the anode, um, iron dissolves and it's going to release a couple of electrons. Um, that dissolved iron, it's in the presence of, of, uh, water. Um, there's some available hydroxide ions, which I'll get into in a second. So you make rust or iron, um, iron hydroxide, um, on the cathode, um, you have this electron movement from the anode to the cathode. Okay. Um, and what happens with that is we release some hydrogen. Um, then the, the dissolved oxygen that's available in the water combines with electrons producing hydroxyl or OH minus ions, which we were going back to reacts with that iron to make that rust. Mm. Um, and so that's a, an oversimplification um, of a very basic isolated cell of just rust forming. Um, but if we can do something with that, um, we, can, we can mitigate corrosion. So, for example, when we talk about um, uh, you know, an electrolyte available, uh, oil-based mud is a really good corrosion inhibitor because everything's oil wet. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so um that's why in you know in corrosive environments oil-based mud's great or we don't see it nearly as much um and you're not using those inhibitor packages with oil-based mud but with water-based mud it's something you've got to keep an eye on all the time sure so what i mean obviously there's different types of corrosion what i mean and i don't know how many there are but do you are you off the top of your head do you know did the different types that we would face or be faced with in, in the drilling world I don't know off the top of my head, but I have a list in front of me. Ah, right. So you're so um, prepared, Matt. Look, I should probably pretend to know all this stuff, but then somebody's going to ask me and I'm going to get real, I'm going to confuse myself mumbling. So, um, uh, you know, NACE has some definitions. They're an easy kind of authority to, to lean on. Um, Right. It's like uniform or general corrosion. This is just seeing rust on pipe, for example. There's no specific isolation or anything like that. It's just kind of broad across general general loss of metal. Um, galvanic corrosion is another one where we have two dissimilar metals. Uh, so one acts as, as the cathode. Uh, an example, you might see like a, a rivet holding um, a metal plate down, and the rivet's made out of some kind of cheap metal and corrodes away faster than the metal plate that's around it. Um, crevice corrosion so this could be let's say you've bolted a sheet of metal down they're similar metals but uh, or let's say you've got a gasket located somewhere but it's a place for fluid to kind of stagnate for that electrolyte light to sit there so you have some localized corrosion uh pitting is something we're always on the lookout for Mm. so pitting is a localized loss of corrosion so i could um the the pipe may look fine and then i find one spot where there's a huge metal loss and now structurally it's compromised so, so what if in general, everything looks, look okay. I find those spots and now I've got this location where, um, I could be in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, intergranular, uh, corrosion is another one on the list. Um, 
So inconsistent heat treatment, welding, those are, those are places where you might see that. Um, once again, we have that, that anode cathode opportunity, right? Um, selective leaching or de-alloying is another one on the list. So think about one of the metals corrodes away and then there's one left over okay. uh, when you've got an alloy. Sure. Um, erosion corrosion, I think this is one that we often kind of overlook or forget about, but this is the idea that metal loss, when we're talking about just general metal loss, it doesn't necessarily have to be a chemical reaction. Right. It could be just the mechanical erosive effects of circulating fluid um, that cause metal loss. Right. Um, and that can be a, a failure mode. Right, which is why having, you know, for the most part, having a, a very low solids content in the mud is extremely important. Yes, it's certainly helpful. Yeah. Um, and then stress corrosion is one that um, I used to deal with a lot on the production side or on the completion side. And it was because we'd use these corrosion resistant alloys um, for production tubing. And so you hang your production tubing down off of um, off your Christmas tree and it's uh, it cycles with the production, right? So you may have hot corrosive fluid flowing back. You shut in the well for a while, it cools off, it contracts. You have all these things, but, but the metal's constantly under stress, right. um, under tensile stress, but it's a corrosion-resistant alloy. It might be 13 chrome, 25 chrome. It's got a lot of chrome in it to resist um, that, that uh, corrosive effect. Um, and what happens is if you have a failure, um, it's, it's, under, it, it, it's fairly catastrophic because the metal's so brittle. Um, so stress corrosion cracking is a... Is a Fairly specific thing that when you use a packer fluid, the fluid you, you put behind the production tubing, mm -hmm. um, the inhibitors are designed to help address that. Gotcha. Um, but so that's another, uh, that, that's uh, the reason I spent a little time on that is one, I know something about it. And <laughs> nice. two, just because it's a, uh, um, it's a common phenomenon in the oil field um, that is a little easier to illustrate than some of these other ones. Um, okay. but those are, those, that's the, the list for, uh, you know, per NACE. <laughs> okay. No, I appreciate you covering that. So what would, what are some of the factors that contribute to corrosion? So, I mean, first and foremost, metallurgy, right? So I mentioned the, we have these corrosion resistant alloys that are actually designed to not readily corrode. Mm -hmm. Um, and those typically can be, you know, think about stainless, um, chrome alloys, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, your regular carbon steel can be quite, um, susceptible to corrosion. Um, think about, uh, you know, if you've ever drilled in an H2S region, um, they'll use a more corrosion resistant drill pipe, um, just because H2S is so corrosive. Um, so metallurgy is a factor in as much as some is going to corrode more readily than others. Right. Um, and then a lot of it's driven by chemical reactions. So temp, you know, high temperatures accelerate corrosion rates. Um, and that's just kind of a, a fact of life. Unfortunately, I can't change what the temperature is downhole. Um, <laughs> yeah. but when we get to higher temperatures, we have to choose not only inhibitive chemistry, but we have to find inhibitive chemistry that's stable. Um, and another fun fact, because I've enjoyed dealing with corrosion inhibition so much is a lot of the inhibitors come from the stimulation realm. Right. And so their threshold is like four hours because all they do is pump it. The acid neutralizes. And like, voila, we're done. When we talk about drilling fluid corrosion inhibitors, our problem is we're down there for a lot longer. Yeah. And so trying to find inhibitors that work effectively can be a pretty significant challenge. And when we talk to these experts, 
we end up talking around each other. So there's a lot of, let me explain my situation a little bit more. Because um, if we just make assumptions about each other, we, we miss it. Um, you know, acid environments make sense, right? More So this is why we, we know we always like to keep our pH up. Um, if your pH is lower, you have more of those um, hydrogen ions, you're going to have uh, accelerated reactions. You have an acidic environment, you're going to have that reaction. Um, this is why we like to keep our pH more up in the 9, 10 range. Um, and it's very important. So it's a, a very important factor. Um, salinity is another one. Uh, I think the interesting thing about salinity is uh, as far as corrosion rates, 3 or 4% is kind of like your worst possible scenario. Okay. At very high saturated levels, uh, your corrosion rate isn't going to be as high. And one of the reasons is that dissolved oxygen, uh, which oxygen is, is part of the corrosion mechanism, um, dissolved oxygen is uh, hardly present uh, when you have saturated brine, for example. Mm. Um, so what you see in these graphs is kind of between 3 and 4% by weight KCL, for example. One of our favorites for shale inhibition, right? Yeah. That's actually the worst possible salinity for corrosion. Oh. And then it sort of gets better as you add more salt. Uh. Um, so, um, and then, uh, you know, the, the other thing that, uh, you know, if we have opportunities for a, a, a concentration area, so scale, um, let's say you're drilling through CO2 prone region and you have a bunch of scale or, or um, iron scale present, uh, that can actually uh, create um, similarly create these concentration areas where you isolate something and it can accelerate the reaction, introduce uh, pitting and, and that sort of thing. Um, so those are, I would say, factors in kind of the, the mechanisms or, or likelihood of, of corrosion. Um, and then, uh, of course, you have your drilling environment. Mm -hmm. So by that, you're talking about like different gases or... What sure. Like yeah. So uh, we leave the hopper open and we entrench a bunch of air. Uh, you know, we have oxygen, corro oxygen corrosion. Uh, we drill through CO2. Um, we, you know, we deal with that as an acid gas. Mm -hmm. H2S is another one. Right. Um, so any of those create, uh, obviously, an accelerated, bigger opportunity for um, corrosion issues. Gotcha. So how do we actually monitor something like this before it gets to the point of no return? Because obviously when you're drilling, you really don't have a good visual of what's going on inside the pipe. But what are some things we can do to sort of help uh, monitor a lot of, you know, basically monitor the corrosion rates or what's going on? So we maintain our properties. One of, one of the things that we try and do when we have a, a corrosion control program in place uh, is run what are called corrosion rings. Um, and corrosion rings are basically little metal coupons of pipe that you stick between the pin and the box and um, you locate them in the, in the right spot and you, you know, one, they're weighed and, uh, you know, there's API spec for all this. They're weighed, stick them in there, you run them hopefully for about 100 hours. Uh, one thing that's important to note about corrosion rate is it kind of levels off. So if you don't run your corrosion rings for long enough and you extrapolate the corrosion rate, which is typically expressed in mils per year, for example, um, you take the weight and you convert it to an annual corrosion rate or corro annual metal weight loss amount. Yeah. So if you run it for five hours and corrosion is just initiating and you extrapolate that out to a year, it's going to look a lot worse than if you ran it for 100 hours. It should 
initially jump up and then kind of level off. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's one of the important, often overlooked or unavailable things you can do. The right. other, I mean, the other helpful thing about corrosion rings is we can put them under a microscope. We can observe, is there scale? What kind of scale is it? Um, do we see pitting? We can make sure the aspect ratio that there wasn't erosion that took place on it that we think we could mistake for uh, a chemical reaction. Right. Um, so corrosion rings are, are probably the most common, obvious means to uh, to monitor as as part of a, a corrosion control program. Okay. Um, what about? Are there any probes? I mean, like I, I've heard of of, and, and I know you mentioned a galvanic probe. What what would, how would you utilize that? So um, you can stick a you, you basically put a probe in, um, and in essence. Uh, what they'll do is is measure your metal loss rate in that probe. Like you have a corrosion prone material in the probe, okay, and you lose it. And you say, okay, well, we're obviously we obviously have a problem here, gotcha. and hopefully you can catch that before. Uh, so it, it it actually sticks into the circulating system. Okay, so it's a little more real sticking time. out. And, yeah, arguably, um, yes. Right. I mean, because uh, obviously the, idea. the corrosion ring, you can you can look at mm-hmm. it when you take it out visually, but to get the data, you need to send it to a lab. And I guess this might be something that you can, you know, be a little bit more uh, quickly reactive seeing something like this. But I don't think, is that typical on land? Because I don't think I've ever seen a galvanic probe on land. You don't see them very often. Um, and and personally, I don't know if I've ever encountered one. Okay. Um, uh, although they come up very quickly on Google. So I assume <laughs> that, uh, I, I assume other industries use them quite a bit. Gotcha. Um, one of the main things is a lot of that stuff, for example, a galvanic probe is a usually a good indicator of like oxygen corrosion, mm. but I can also just measure dissolved oxygen in, in my mud, right? So right. we can measure CO2 with a Garrett gas train. We can measure dissolved oxygen with a kit. Um, so some of these things we can directly measure if we're worried about them. Um, and uh, so there's, there's other ways to, to go about that that are simpler. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, perhaps like in the pipeline industry or something like that. Um, well, look, I mean, we've identified corrosion, where it comes from and, and what the effects are. How do we actually treat for this? So, um, you know, we're slowing the rate. So what we've got to do is we've got to um, change, alter the environment as much as we can. We've, we've probably talked a lot about keeping pH, up, you know, beat that to death. I think everybody understands. <laughs> keep the pH up, acid base, keep the acid away. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's why raising the pH helps. Um, and then, um, you know, other things we can do, uh, scale inhibitors. So if we expect scale or we're in an area with a, a, a lot of, uh, a scale prone formation water, for example, um, what a, a scale inhibitor will do is it'll actually inhibit the for the crystalline lattice from forming mm-hmm. of that scale. So keep it dispersed. So it can't kind of accumulate and create those those isolated spots for corrosion to occur. Um, scavenging oxygen, uh, you know, part of it that is good practices. Keep the hopper closed. All that, all that good stuff can help. Um, but the other thing is we can just add an oxygen scavenger. Uh, so there's ammonium bisulfite is a really common one. Uh, what we can do when we do we we add that to the system, and the bisulfite when it reacts with Oxygen becomes sulfate, so we can measure excess sulfites with a test kit. Gotcha. If I'm picking up sulfites on my, at, you know, back at the flow line, guess what? 
Um, it means that it's not interacting with oxygen because I've scavenged it all. Mm. Um, of course, oxygen scavengers. The other fun thing is that um, uh, from a, if they cost more, it would be great because then we could make a lot of money off of them. They react with atmospheric oxygen. So make sure you're adding them as close to the suction as you can, hopefully below surface if it's a liquid and you can pump it. Yeah. Um, but bisulfite doesn't tolerate calcium as well. It, its performance sort of degrades. So there are other additives if you're in a calcium chloride environment, something like that. Um, and then uh, uh, the other thing is something quite common is, is uh, filming additives. So the idea, if I can uh, inhibit that conductive path by oil wetting the, the metal, um, there's, there's filmers that will do that. What we find is they form a very, very, very thin layer. <laughs> so in a dynamic circulating environment, that might not be as helpful for us. Sure. Um, but I have found in you know, pipe storage examples and that sort of thing where they've actually slugged the pipe and wiped it on the outside before they laid it down. This was in a germo- geothermal well I was involved in in Indonesia where they had really bad corrosion. There were hot wells and they, they wanted to make sure the pipe was stored properly. Um, so a filming, uh, I think in that case it was an amine, okay. um, made sense. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, we know we can get H2S and obviously we want to scavenge that for safety reasons anyways, but uh, biocides. Um, so kill the bugs that might produce H2S. Um, and that could be, you know, if you're putting mud in storage or you're just not paying attention and you have a bug prone scenario, um, biocides are great for that. Um, or of, of at least preventing some of that H2S. You know, the rotten egg smell H2S, not necessarily the H2S that kills everyone. <laughs> right. um, but uh, it's, it's another opportunity. Some of these bugs can produce CO2 as well. So it's another opportunity to prevent uh, acid gases from forming. Perfect. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's kind of the list, the predominant list of additives. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think from a collective wisdom perspective, understanding the source, trying to identify that and narrow it down can help you pick which additives to focus on um and you know as we like to say um you know we've been updating all our product bulletins and we say is an excellent component to a corrosion control program right um you know you need to look at everything um and one of the hardest parts is the metallurgy guys are going to say oh it's probably the mud and the mud guys say well i don't know anything about metallurgy but it's not us um and at the end of the day, there are fluid properties that can affect corrosion. There are metal- metallurgy properties that can affect corrosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to come together and figure it out. Yeah, most definitely. Well, look, that's uh, about as much corrosion chat I, you know, I can take for one day. But if there's anyone out there who, who's a little bit more well-versed, well, than myself, Matt's got a pretty good understanding of it. I mean, this is something that, that you know, as mud folks, we, we, we have to know a little bit about it, but we, it's not... Uh, you know, something that we deal with every single day and that we're, you know, we claim to be experts in. So, uh, yeah, if there's anyone who wants to shine some light on, on, you know, drilling fluids and corrosion, please reach out to us. Or if you have any good stories, or again, if you have any good cases where you, you, you saw it and you were able to identify it and and solve it, um, please share it with us. We love hearing that kind of stuff. So, uh, Matt, what do you think? Should we log off and get after it for the rest of the day? Yeah, this kind of talk does wear me out. Hopefully someone can add some color with a, a few stories or uh, or something. But, uh, you know, it's real. 
we usually, as fluids guys, we're held accountable for it. So um, I guess we got to get through it. Perfect. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And please do us a huge favor, like and share. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.